Some call me Steve, Dad, Husband or Friend. Others might call me Boss, Coach or Mentor. Today you can call me the Leadership Hacker. Thanks for listening in, I really appreciate it. My job as the Leadership Hacker is to hack into the minds, experiences, habits and learning of great leaders, C-suite executives, authors and development experts so that I can assist you developing your understanding and awareness of leadership. I'm Steve Rush and I'm your host today. I'm the author of Leadership Cake, I'm a transformation consultant and leadership coach and can't wait to start sharing all things leadership with you. On today's show we have Coaching Catalyst, the technical guy with the ability to connect, it's Byron Lowe. Before we have a chance to speak with Byron, it's a Leadership Hacker News. In the news today, wherever you turn to receive your news, you're likely to bump into the phrase, new normal. What is the new normal? Well, I asked this question to a group of my professional colleagues, network and associates to evaluate what hasn't happened yet, the future, a label of new normal, whether that helps us or holds us back. Labels can often be referred to guises, mindsets, and other things that help us frame how we see the world and how we respond. And that's really important if we're trying to make a change or a step change in how we behave in order to change our behavior. However, when we start thinking about strategically, giving labels can often refer to us thinking back to what normal was versus new possibilities and new thinking. Overwhelmingly, the research I found through my network suggested that it was unhelpful to give the new normal its credence in our current status quo because it was helping us to refer back to biases. And of course, what's happening isn't normal and is unlikely to be normal because normality as we knew things in the past is never going to be how things will be in the future. In order to think strategically and thoughtfully, it's high time now to accept things how they are, adjust our approach, because life will go on. And what's normal tomorrow might not be normal the day after. What's not normal the day after could be completely different. So let's drop the labels of new normal. Let's just focus on how things are, be present, be in the moment, and control what we can control. On a lighter note from the not-so-normal, Loch Ness Monster watchers around the world are intrigued to find that in this period of lockdown, Nessie has made a reappearance. The 55-year-old Irish hospital clerk caught what he believes is the legendary creature caught on camera as it swam around the Irish Loch on Monday. The official Loch Ness Monster sightings register, that's right, there is one, has confirmed the footage, which shows something unexplained emerging from the Urquhart Bay at around 8.11am. It's only the second sighting of the Loch Ness Monster this decade. And I wonder, is that normal? Or just the new normal? That's been the Leisure Hacker News. If you have any news, insights or information you'd like to share with our listeners, please get in touch through our website or our social media channels. On today's show, I've got coaching catalyst Byron Lowe. He's been a coach for 25 years, been included as part of strategic leadership of 22 plus startups, and is the technical guy that people connect with. Byron, welcome to the show. 
Thanks, Steve. So 22 startups, 25 years as a coach, that's an inordinate amount of experience to be able to helping you and your clients with. But for you, your first business entrepreneurship, if you like, started when you were in high school. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, ever since I was a little kid, I have been one of those people that was curious and interested in a lot of things. Steve, I was the kid that read encyclopedias. And I don't know what, and I'm sure I know that in Europe, you you all have encyclopedias, but in America, that was not a popular thing to do. <laughs> um, I, I read encyclopedias as a, as a child. So that, that always gave me this, um, this I, I have and always have had this very voracious appetite for knowledge. I'll give you an example. Um, when I was younger, I asked my dad for... Uh, we had a set of we had a family set of encyclopedias, but I asked him for a, a special kind of encyclopedia called Jane's Encyclopedia of Aviation, and he said, "What is that?" I said, "Well, it's a, it's a special encyclopedia of just airplanes," and he looked at me like, "What? Why would you want that?" Well, I learned when I was a kid that my dad grew up on the eastern eastern seaboard of the United States, and when he was a kid, he had to learn. All, he had these cards, and, he, and I got to see him. Um, there were these cards that were the silhouettes of all of the German, of the Axis-powered, and also the Allied-powered airplanes. And the silhouette was looking down on it. You could see the actual airplane. And that really led me to this interest in just learning about that. So I learned all about World War One, World War II, all the aircraft, and I had them all memorized, and I also learned like about all the auto manufacturers from you know from the very very beginning. So I learned about all the different kinds of cars. So it just my I, my curiosity was always very very strong, and that led me to want to start different kinds of businesses. And I've always been kind of um, very um, uh, kind of entrepreneurial. I was the kid in high and when I was even younger before high school, I was a, I was the one that kind of organized kind of. Um, the youth activities and sports in my neighborhood. I, I I help people kind of kind of get together and do things. And and even when I even then I was an introvert, and I'm still an introvert. But there was something there that was very enterprising. And enterprising, I guess, comes from those thoughts that you were having. So in, introverted people will take on that information, that energy and power from an internal source where extroverted people obviously get their energy from external sources and people and surroundings. But that's not atypical for, for entrepreneurs and for coaches, is it? So how did you wrestle with that internal dialogue that was saying, I'm introverted, but yeah, I still need to be extroverted and go out and find new things and new ways of working? That's a good question. I think even when I was younger, I was drawn to athletics, even though I was kind of a a nerd in a sense, or, or a, a kind of a, even a, as a, as a boy, a technical person, I very much was drawn to being athletic and being involved in sports. And I mean, I remember my, my family originated, you know, they're all in Northern um, UK and in, in the in Scotland. And I remember learning about, about cricket and even rugby and obviously football, your football. And I remember having learning that I had cousins in Scotland, but I wanted to learn about their game, but I didn't really have any way, any context for learning that. But, but for me, it was about learning the American sports of football, basketball, and baseball and tennis, which are all the things that I played. And I think that it was really the love of that. The world of athletics is an external world. Yeah, and you can be an introvert and be an athlete. Absolutely. But that's really kind of how I bridged the gap with 
my internal world, because you're right, um, introverts have this very, very large interior world. And mine as an introvert is it's vast. And how I made the connection to that external world was through sports. And I absolutely love sports. And I learned how to affiliate with, with others through sports. And that was, and it still is. It's a love of my life. I mean, I'm actually very, very much missing that today because there aren't any sports right now. I actually have a son who is 16, who is a baseball player, and he's he wants and very much wants to be a competitive baseball player someday. And um, I'm not necessarily living through him, but um, it he is. I can see in him what I had when I was younger in this intensity of wanting to be a better athlete. So your exploration of other people and other activities is your your external energy, I guess, right? That's right. I think my externality came in two places. It came both in academics on. Uh, working either with my classmates because I remember even when I was in school and I remember a time when I was a freshman I was in I was taking a class in physics and learning about physics and and there was this one time where I, I was answering the questions in physics but I was answering them in Spanish because the class I had before physics was Spanish so instead of putting velocity I, I answered the the question in physics velocidad so that became kind of a joke between me and, and my and my physics teacher. It was just simply that external world of academics and also the external world of sports in, in school. That was really kind of where I was able to connect with people, so to speak. Got it. So then you progressed from high school. What was the interesting? What was the business that you created in high school? It was real simple. It was I, I had a friend in high school whose whose family owned land. And they had a lot of trees on their land, and his grandfather actually had a wood splitter, which, which once you get the, the, the tree, you fell the tree, and you knock it down, and then you, you chop it up with a chainsaw. You put the little the segments of the tree in a splitter, and it little, literally splits those segments into firewood. It was a firewood-making business. Brilliant. So from there... Then the technical side, that technical curiosity that you shared earlier, that led you into moving into the field of engineering, right? Yeah, I worked as an engineer for a few years with a company in, in Phoenix, Arizona called Garrett Turbine Engine Company. And they made, they were a private, they were not a, a defense contractor. They were a private company that, that, that made small jet engines for private aircraft. Uh, it was it was that that company eventually was purchased by another company, and, and I'm not I'm not even sure today if those engines are even in, in existence because the, our biggest competitor is a massive company out of the East Coast. But it was it was a fun one of the it was a fun time. One of the one of my most uh, fond memories was there was a time when I, we're, we're working together as, as engineers and think about you know your basic cubicle cubicle setup. And there was this one particular instance where I came across a problem where I thought I had a differential equation. And a differential equation is a specific kind of math problem. And I called out, I think I've got a differential equation. And everyone around me came over to look at it. And right then, because we're, we're going to talk later about how to turn thoughts into tools. And this is an example of how to turn thoughts into tools. I had a thought at that time, oh, Everyone's interested because it was kind of rare to run into this differential equation in a real life work situation. It wasn't. It wasn't. We weren't. We're not in math class. We're a bunch of engineers. So what I did was I got. I got a guy from every single guy that was on this little problem solving exercise. And again, I am the youngest guy. I, and, but I get everyone together, and we, we're all in this big area, and and everyone has a has a blank piece of paper, and it was going to be a race who was going to solve the problem first. And I happened to be standing behind a guy from Iran and a guy from Bangladesh. 
and they both started to answer this differential equation. And I knew how to solve the differential equation. And I, and I, I could see my other American colleagues trying to answer the differential equation. But when I looked over the shoulders of these two men who were trying to, were, were doing the same thing, the way they went about it was absolutely bizarre to me, which led to another conversation where these two guys ended up, ended up sharing with, with everyone else there. And no one knew that the way these guys thought of math and numbers was completely different than everyone else. The point is, is that the way, the way that the, the gentleman from Iran, the way the gentleman from, from Bangladesh, and then there was, an, there was even another guy from Nepal, another guy from India, they all had very, very similar ways of answering the question. And I, I promise you, they answered the question, they answered the problem, but they almost answered the problem in reverse. And it, and it blew all of the, the North Americans' minds, all of us. We, we looked at that, and that was an example of taking a thought I had and literally turning it into a tool in real time. And all, it was all about discovery. It was all because I was curious, and I, I wanted to – and I wasn't afraid. Even though I was the most junior, I was the most um, – I was the least intelligent of that group. I had the least experience. But I, I didn't care because I wanted to know. I wanted to know, to know the answer. I wanted to find out something, and it was absolutely fascinating. And do you think that's where you got the bug to become a coach? Because all great coaches need the ability to ask those great questions, those restless questions, the, the teasing, curious, pokey questions, I'd call them. Is that where that kind of started for you? Yeah, I think so. I think it's also coupled because I think I identified, you know, most, most children, they identify with one parent. I mean, we ha some of us are blessed to have two, and I had two. But with, with my two sets of parents, I, I identified with my mom. I longed to connect with my dad, which I didn't really have a great connection with my dad. But I, I definitely connected with my mom. And my mom was the, was the extrovert. She was relational. And I was the introvert. But because of her, her intense curiosity, almost to a, an annoying level, like if my mom, and my, my mom passed away several years ago, and there was a time when I, was, I, was, I took her to the grocery store, and I had to go run an errand while she was in the grocery store. And when I came back and my mom, by this time was like 75 years old. And I, and I come back to pick up my mom. My mom is still on the first aisle of the grocery store and she's having a conversation with someone. And she's been talking to that exact same person for like 25 minutes. And I thought she was going to be finished with her grocery shopping. But that, that's an example of my mom. My mom gave me this ability to connect with people, even though I am technical. So to answer your question, absolutely. It, it's, it's a combination of having, having, the ability, but also working on the ability to connect with people, even though I'm technical, even though I've got this, I've got all these questions, I have to find a way, and I try to be as creative as possible, I have to find a way to ask questions that are not offensive, they're not off-putting, they're not intimidating, because I love working with smart people. But if you're, if you're the smartest person, that can be intimidating. I don't mind being smart, but I don't ever have to be the smartest. What I want to be is I want to be the most interested, not the most interesting, but the most interested. I, I, want, to, I want them to feel that I genuinely am curious. And I want them to think of that as almost that, that in and of itself is um, kind, of an, kind of interesting as well. Uh, you know, it was that very thing that, was, that drew me to you when we first connected was that whole kind of technical, introverted, yet coach. Because most of the coaches I speak with and most of the coaches I work with generally are more extroverted than introverted. So what was the kind of catalyst for you then to become a full-time professional coach to help others? You know, it was, it was actually, um, I've been doing this work for a long time, but I think it was, it was during the economic contraction we had back in 2008, 2009. I was working really mostly, doing mostly consulting, and I was doing some coaching. 
And it was really out of, um, out of necessity. It wasn't because, and, and, and this, is, this is also a lesson. I think that there are times in life we think we have a plan, but life, life gives us an opportunity that you know, we have to adjust. And it really wasn't, it wasn't something I was planning on, Steve. I wasn't necessarily planning on, on a career of being a coach. It was the, during the economic contraction, we as a family went for a significant amount of time without income. Um, I had to cash, cash out all of our savings in order to survive. But then the launching and really the commitment to coaching as a business, it was something, and I tell this even as I'm working with clients, if, if they're wanting to make it, making a change in their career, if they're wanting to change their career, going into, into a different, different kind of industry or wanting to make an adjustment, the way I made this, this decision for me, and, and again, this is for me, but this is also the advice I give, and I would love to hear your thoughts. I tell them, for me personally, I had to do this because I felt like I, I, I had no other choice. And it wasn't like I, I wanted to do this. I happen to be very good at it, and I really, really love it, but it, wasn't, it was never a plan. But I also think it's important that there has to be that full commitment. Does that make sense? It makes loads of sense. And I think anybody who's been brilliant, successful, and had longevity in any career, they're always truly invested in that career, aren't they? They're not distracted on, you know, I'm part-time this and I'm part-time that. They're, they're kind of, they're all in. And I think that's what makes a difference. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. And sometimes that's forced upon us through situation. Uh, and other times it's through purpose and drive, right? That's right. When we spoke last, one of the things that really intrigued me about our conversation last too was the way that you apply quite a scientific approach to some of the activities that sits within a coaching experience. And you describe listening as a science. Tell me what's the reason that you look at something that we all do naturally and quite scientifically. I think partly is that where I'm coming from, I'm coming from that technical perspective. That is my strength. That's where I'm going to lean on. And when it comes to listening, listening is an incredibly relational thing to do. I, I am relational. I think because of my relationship with my mom and the examples of people that I had in my life. But I think that the reality is, is that I look at it as something that we all can absolutely grow in. I don't care how technical you are. And I have had clients who are the most technical people that you can imagine, you know, scientists or medical doctors or attorneys or, um, you know, accountants, uh, economists, PhDs. I honestly believe all of us, no matter where we're coming from, we can look at listening. Listening is the one of the most incredible tools we have in our arsenal. All of us can have a, a toolkit that is very well equipped and that we can constantly be growing in our capacities, in our abilities to listen. It's very simple. There, even though I look at it, I, I, because I'm technical, I don't necessarily think it's scientific, even though I do think that there are, are parts, even how our brain is made, that actually can help with that. Because the, the bottom line is, is that ultimately, it's a choice. Just like you said earlier, it, it's a choice. It's a commitment. When we're committed to, to listening, listening first, it goes back to what I said earlier. I, I had a really good friend um, who passed away. And he was someone that he actually played music in our, our my wife and I's our wedding, and he learned from a very young age because his dad his dad kind of called out to him and said, "John, do you want to be interested or do you want to be interesting?" And I, I remember hearing that for the first time when I was in my early twenties working with John, and John was the most intelligent human being I've ever met. He was an absolute genius, 
but he was he was absolutely infatuated with being interesting. Um, but I learned from him that I can listen, I can learn, and also again I can lead with that curiosity. And if there were people listening to this, ironically, and thinking, how do I practice better listening? Any tips or techniques that you could share? You know, I've, first of all, I think you have you have to you have to be interested. Um, I think you have to be focused. I'm not doing it now, but most of the time when I am on a call with a client, I am not sitting in front of my computer. I am now because I've got I'm literally hardwired into my computer, and we're listening. And this technology is using using this over the internet. Most of the time, I'm on my phone. And when I'm when I'm on a call with a client, I'm actually walking. I walk up to up to 15 miles a day, and the walking takes me away from my computer, and that it and it forces me to hear them. You literally have to hear people before you can listen to them. So you have to have a good connection, and it is absolutely frustrating frustrating for me. I I, I can I can get really been out of shape if I can't hear. I mean, physically here. So the point is, is that you have to be able to hear them. You have to have a good connection. And that's like, that's like when I, when I talk with other coaches and they, most of their, most of their coaching practice is face-to-face, or I, I'm talking with a prospective client and they want to meet face-to-face. If they're local, I'm happy to do that if it works out for both of our schedules, but it really isn't necessary to meet face-to-face. And to, in today's virtual world with what's going on in the world today, or many of us now are at home, I don't think that's necessary. I think as long as we have a good connection, I think we can listen. But it, it takes a commitment. You have to want to listen. Sure. And I wonder if your natural introversion, that plays to that strength, actually, doesn't it? Where you don't need to see and experience other people. You can you can internalize that yourself. Yeah, it's funny. Whenever I'm on a on a, a Zoom a Zoom meeting with clients or a, 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 a company of sort, and they all they always ask me, well, "Why don't you turn on your your webcam?" I tell them I don't have a webcam, and and they they don't believe me. And I said, no, really, I don't. I don't. I don't want you to to see me. Um, I I, I actually I love anonymity. Um, I don't ever want to be famous. Whenever I'm on Zoom or another kind of screen share tool, I, I turn off the ability to see them. Really, what I want, and and I think you're right. I think that really does lend itself really well to that the the, the interior world of the introvert. So we spoke a little earlier about the whole foundation for coaching for you, particularly is around turning thoughts into tools. And I know that's that's really big for you, and it's certainly a, a big technique that you use with your clients. How did that come about? And you know, how do you now help other people turn their thoughts into tools? You know, I think it comes about because I, I truly believe that as a as a practitioner and as a coach, that's one of the things that kind of is is a differentiator. It sets me apart is that I have a high level of curiosity, which leads itself to, I really want to learn a lot. And I tend to read a lot. And because I read a lot, I find tools. I I am consistently sending articles to clients that I've read that I think that, that might help them. And it could be as simple as just as an idea or a thought that I, I get, or I want to glean from an article. I, I learned a long, a long time ago, we're all familiar with the with the concept of either or thinking, right? Right. It's either it's either this or that, and it's very binary. It's either yes or no. It's either black or white. I'm really a proponent of not having that kind of thinking as much as the thinking that's both and a both and kind of thinking that's really open more to possibilities, more to the the idea of um, 
like, can we ask some more questions? And the idea of seeing that as as a tool, when when you look at the the, the things that I read or the things that a client is going through, I really want to to help them see that it really is going to be up to them and how they want to apply something. They they need to have a shift in their thinking that is not binary. It's not about you know can it be this or that. It, it could be both. It could be both, and it, and and we can actually use the 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 word and. It could be both and something. So the possibilities of having a of thinking like that versus a thinking that is more cut off, it opens up the window of, of possibility that is exciting. And I think that ultimately, when when we think about um, providing people those kinds of tools and turning turning thoughts into tools, it really is about and this is really, really critical. It's about the people and it's about all of us. We have to be able to listen to ourselves because Steve, I believe that you have all the tools you need in order for you to become the best version of you, but it's going to be important for you to be able to hear yourself. And that's really what I believe. And I convey to my clients. It's, it's, it's my job to set up the relationship and the conversation so that they can hear themselves because those tools, those thoughts, they're not my thoughts. They're their thoughts. They're the client's thoughts. So it's really critical for them to be able to hear their own thoughts. And it's also, I would also add, it's, it's critical for them to see themselves because when they hear themselves and they see themselves, that's when the beginning of change occurs. It can happen because that's when we become more self-aware. But the hearing of, of those thoughts that's the first step of capturing the thought that can become a tool. If they don't have the ability or capacity to hear themselves, to capture that thought, they can never see the thought become a tool. Does that make sense? Yeah, a huge amount of sense. And it, it plays to that whole mindset philosophy too, doesn't it? So what you described as the either or, that very much plays to a fixed mindset because it looks for evidence you've got. Whereas when you ask both and, that plays to the unconscious part of the mind that has all of those thoughts deep-rooted that are unconscious that we don't maybe listen to every day, that we drag out, that give us the foundation for the new tools, right? That's right. So once we've done that and we've got all this thinking going on, how do you then distill all of those huge amounts of thoughts and experiences that people might be having? How do you distill that into, right, here are, here are the tools that can help you? It's going to be different for each client I'm working with, but I think the important thing for all of us that when we're having conversations with people, be it coaching conversations or just simply personal interactions, it's critical that all of us, that we meet the other where they are, that we don't have expectations, that we don't force people to be something that they're not. So along with this willingness to listen and the willingness to literally physically hear someone, it's also this willingness to be kind of non-judgmental or open or accepting of them. I, I think that as a coach, I have to, and I, and I want to, um, and I've, and this is, this has been, this has been a hard lesson. And I remember learning about learning this, I think it was back in about 2000, 2009, 2010, when I was first starting my coaching practice. I was talking to a psychologist and he was talking about trying to remove the judgmental language from my vocabulary where I was 
and, and again, this is a little hard to convey in such a short amount of time, but the idea of it is absolutely possible for us to be with another and to switch off this idea of judgment. And it led to a tool that I have, which again, I like tools. I like creating tools. And the tool is, it's, it's called the AWAC, A-U-A-C, Awareness, Understanding, Acceptance, and Commitment. Awareness, Understanding, Acceptance, and Commitment. The awareness is really the first step. We have to be aware. And then understanding is we have to understand ourselves. We also have to be willing to understand the other. And understanding the other is not only hearing them, but listening to them. But at the same time, which the understanding leads to this idea of acceptance. And if, if you were ever around our family, because I, I have, you know, I, I have three, three children and a, and a wife and a dog, and we have a beautiful family. But you would hear us, if we ever had an argument as a family, which we had many arguments, we would, we would slow down the argument a little bit and we'd say, okay, it's not about agreement. I'm not asking you to agree with me. It's about, can we understand each other? If we can understand each other and we really can get to a point of acceptance where I accept, I accept what you're saying, I accept the situation, I accept the, you know, the conditions that we're in, then we can finally get to a commitment. And, and that ultimately is action. But we have to get to a place where we can understand each other. And it absolutely is a waste of time when we're trying to get someone to agree with us. And that judgmental language that I had, then the judgmental thinking that I had, it was just ingrained in me, even as a child. And, and it's still there, Steve. But, I, but when I hear it in myself or when I see it in other people, I'm more sensitive to it now. I, in, in the last 10 years of coaching, I've had the privilege of coaching people that have completely, utterly different worldviews than I have. And that doesn't mean I can't coach them. It just means that I have to, I have to suspend, that, suspend that judgment and be able to accept them where they are. That's how I've grown as I've been able to help others. Is been, I've been able to learn how to listen, but also learn how to understand, but ultimately how to accept. And it, it's been a lot of fun. That's really neat. And I think understanding each other is so much easier than trying to agree with each other because we come from our own perspectives and we come with our own biases and our own experiences of the world where actually if we can just find that common ground, then we'll move forward quicker, right? Absolutely. But I think some of our families are kind of rooted in this argumentative, almost pugilistic culture where we like to fight. We like to, we like to, to prove our point and we, we can't and oftentimes when we're in, an, in a, a thinking mindset like that, it's a very fixed mindset where we're not really even listening to the other person. We're listening to our own thoughts about what we're going to say next because we want to destroy that person. I have watched debate. I've watched different debates on, um, it could be a political debate or it could be a, a different kind of debate. But the idea of debate, what if debate was about understanding versus just simply about destroying the other? And I think even within our own political systems, if we all kind of got together to try to solve the problem versus trying to prove that we're better than someone else, I think we could get more done. But I don't know. Um, the, the whole political system and the process, it doesn't seem to be you know, oriented towards that as much as it's oriented, like you said, towards getting people to agree with agree with them. And to me, I just find that to be a glorious waste of time. I couldn't agree with you anymore. So at this part of the show, Byron, we ask our guests to share some of their top hacks, in your case, top tools. So what would be some of your top tools that you could share with our listeners? You know, I've got three. 
the first one is knowing yourself. I think it's absolutely critical that as we grow as leaders, we we have to grow within it starts as we grow, the seed starts in our own heart as we learn about ourselves. We have got to learn, you know, ultimately what we believe, who we believe we are, what we stand for. I mean, there's a there's a really uh, famous book out right now um, by a, a gentleman. His name is Simon Sinek. is world famous of Start with Why. I think knowing yourself and starting with why is absolutely critical. Simon also has one of the most watched TED Talks ever on how great leaders inspire action. Because I think all great leaders, and as a, le- as a leadership hack, all great leaders, they know themselves. The second uh, leadership hack is really about being honest. And what that means is it's, it's being honest with, with what you have and graciously accepting what you have. If we're all honest about what we have and we're all growing, that's really the point. And it's really about progress equals happiness. And that's not something I've coined. That actually comes from Tony Robbins, because I believe it's absolutely true. I believe that if we're progressing, no matter what, I even, I even share this with my 16-year-old son, because he, he, wants, he wants to play you know, competitive baseball. And I would, I would say to him, it's, it's about progressing. As long as you're progressing, we're good. You know, some days we're going to have good days where we can take two steps forward and a step back where we've made progress. Some days it's actually two steps forward and three steps backwards. So we're actually, we didn't go very far that day, but that's okay. But the, the point is, is that if we're honest about what we've been given, what we've been entrusted and we do the best and really it's an effort thing. And, and that goes back to, there's a book by Carol Dweck and Carol Dweck, D-W-E-C-K. And she's the, the foremost expert on mindset. And in her book, Mindset, she talks about this. It's, it's really about that effort. So my leadership hack is know yourself and then to be honest. And lastly, as you can imagine, it's about being curious. For me, curiosity is I want to lead with that. And for some clients, I encourage them to do the exact same thing. For, for others, it's, that's not their thing. But ultimately, it's about looking at the world as a world of possibilities, as, as, an, as a world of wonder. And I, I do. So uh, not only do I want to know myself, I want to be honest with what I have and I want to work hard. I also want to be curious because I believe that if we're curious, then there is that idea that curiosity can lead to, to great questions and great questions can lead to other great questions. And to me, I think that's, um, that sounds like a fun life. And lifelong learning also means you never get bored and you never get stale because there's always something new that you can go back to. And incidentally, Carol Dweck, Here's a, a bonus hack. Carol Dweck, as part of her uh, famous work around mindset, one of the things that I often help my kids and my clients with is the whole power of yet. So you can't fail at something, but you just haven't been successful yet. Creates just a different mindset that helps people think about next possibilities versus closing down actions and activities. So great hacks. We've also become familiar in asking our guests on the show to share their hack to attack. So this is a period in a time where something's gone wrong. They maybe have screwed up, but it's now become part of their learning, part of the way that they do things, and it's playing part of their future. What would be your hack to attack? My hack to attack has to do with connecting with people. I have a tendency, like a lot of us do. As a matter of fact, in this last week, I probably have had a half a dozen conversations with folks who have spent their careers committed to the companies that they were working in. And because they were committed to the companies they were working in, 
They never ever really worked on their, themselves. They never really worked on their career. And if that sounds like you, I get it. The challenge I had was I suffered from that, which is really a form of myopia where you're, you're so focused and intense on what you're doing. You're not necessarily thinking about your, yourself or your career. You're thinking about the company you're working for, which has great benefits for the company, not so great benefits for the individual. But what I also learned when I was just thinking through this process with Steve was not only was that true for me in my career, but it also was true for me in, the, in connections and people that I was working with. Because whenever there was a change, whenever there was a, a change of location, a change of job, what I've learned was, and I've always known this, but it just kind of, it was stark. I am not very good at keeping up with people. Look, I have no idea who's going to listen to this, but if there are people that are in my past that are, that are listening to this, I'm sorry. I understand that I have the capacity to relate. I do. And I, I know that because uh, there, there, there is a friend that I reach out to a couple times a year, and we're always able to kind of pick up where we left off, always. And it's always deep, and it's always meaningful. But for some reason, with keeping up with people, and, and when social media came on board you know, back in the early 2000s, and, and someone actually talked me into to joining Facebook. And the whole idea of Facebook for an introvert is like, ah, it's very, very stress inducing. And I only did it because I was talked into it. And I hated it from the very, very first time I was on Facebook. But it's just because I hate Facebook. And I remember one time I was actually on Facebook and I have all these people that are connected to me. And while I was on Facebook looking at someone, someone started talking to me. And that, that literally freaked me out to have someone talk to me when I was on Facebook, I didn't understand it. But the point is, is that I think I've, I have a lot of room for growth and opportunity to remain and, and stay connected with people. And that takes effort, that takes work, that takes time. And ultimately, I, I, I want to do that. And I, I think when I look back, I think people could feel a little confused by my lack of consistency there. And I guess this will this will absolutely play part of education for for others listening to this who are also introverted who struggle with that. Conversely, of course, if you are extroverted and struggle to relax, struggle to be introspective and reflective, the same is absolutely true. Just the poles are different, right? Right, and and, and there are that really is something I think that with with my extroverted friends and family that are able that are almost like like because I told you my mom was an extrovert. My mom taught, she had a very large family of sisters and brothers. My mom spoke to almost every single one of her siblings every single week on the phone. I have two brothers and a sister. And let me just say, I don't. I, I know I, I, I'm not going to be my mom, but I, I have to get better in this and I want to get better. But the bottom line is, is that <laughs> I'm, I'm really, I, I do a, a, a very poor job at this comes back to one of your hacks and know yourself you know these things and therefore as part of your not getting it right in the past you're able to work on it for the future right that's right uh, and i like what you said about what dweck says yet yet and and i'm and i'm working towards this and, and even the use the utilization of even like something like facebook um i haven't figured that out and 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 that is always the it, it's a it's somewhat of a um it's an opportunity for me to learn more and i'm on instagram i'm on twitter i, I don't know what i'm doing honestly, Steve, but I'm open. I want to learn and I want to be able to make those connections. And learning by experience is often the best way. Absolutely. So if you were able to do a bit of time travel, go back and bump into Byron when he was 21, what would be the advice that you would give him? You know, the, the first advice is I would say, just relax. 
because I, I come with this, this, uh, the supercharged intensity about life, about myself, that it's, I, I even had a professor one time tell me, Byron, you're, you practically vibrate. What she meant was that there's a level of intensity that I have that is, that is, um, that it can be off-putting. It can be, it can be, it, it can be intimidating. But I think what I would tell my younger self, because I, I, I have such, and again, this, this is, if you, if you remember what, what Carol Dweck would talk about with a fixed mindset person, and I think I was very fixed mindset when I was younger, they feel like they have to be the best. They feel like that there is this like compulsion and it kind of pushes them where I, I don't necessarily feel that today. But I think when I was younger, I, I really want, I would really want to, and again, I would have a caveat. I can give my advice to my younger self, but the caveat is this. My younger self would accept it. I would say, relax. Number one, relax. And just allow your, allow your, your curiosity, your interest, your ability to connect with people. Just lead with that and have fun. I think there were times when I allowed my intensity to kind of rule in situations and I'll, and I'll give you a personal example. To this day, I have never consumed alcohol. And I remember I had a colleague years ago at, say the, the epiphany was, wow, you've never actually had any way of, of having that edge kind of off of you because everyone knows me as intense. And, and no, I've never had a buzz ever. And there's a reason for that. I, I come from a, a, a home, a home life where alcohol was abused. So I, I didn't get to see the positive side of alcohol. I'm not against alcohol at all. As a matter of fact, I, when I have conversations with my, with my, with my children, I, I believe I'm, very, I'm being very open. But the reality is, is that I think that there is, a, there is an intensity as a young person, whereas there's almost this drivenness where there, there wasn't, a, there wasn't a, terif- a terrific amount of grace that I was giving myself. And what I would do is I would just simply say, it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Just take it easy. And I wouldn't necessarily say for me to to drink. That's not the answer. The answer is to is to be a little more accepting of myself, and to be a little more forgiving of myself, and to be a little bit more self compassionate to myself. If that makes any sense. Yeah, lots of lessons there, isn't there? And also, interestingly, if you look back on some of those key instrumental activities as part of your life, they're forming your work now, and and that's fantastic news. So, Byron, if folk were listening to this and they wanted to find out a little bit more about your work, maybe connect with you through some of your social media, where would you like them to find you? I am on Facebook. I am on Instagram and Twitter, but I think the probably the best place is to go to byronlow.com. Byronlow.com. You'll get to see the kind of work that I, that I do. And if you want to reach me, you can reach me at, and my phone number is on the website. You can also reach me through email, byron at byronlow.com. I would love to hear from you. And, but that's probably the, the best and the most direct and primary ways of getting a hold of me. And we'll also make sure that we've got your contact details in our show notes, Byron. So as soon as folk have listened to this, they can click on the links and connect with you straight away. Excellent. So finally, it's just for me to say that I've really enjoyed uh, connecting with you. I've really enjoyed you being part of our extended Leadership Hacker community. And, you know, there's no question that as a technical guy, you absolutely have the ability to connect. Uh, and I'm sure that's going to be the case through our, our listenership. Uh, Byron, thank you ever so much for being on the Leadership Hacker podcast. It's been a super pleasure to be speaking with you. Thank you, Steve. I, I very much appreciate it. And it was it was a lot of fun. I, I appreciate it. And I, and, I, and I hope the best for you and your listeners and for you and your family. Thank you, Byron. Take care. I genuinely want to say a heartfelt thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in too. 
We do this in the service of helping others and spreading the word of leadership. Without you listening in, there would be no show. So please subscribe now if you haven't done so already. Share this podcast with your communities and network and help us develop a community and a tribe of leadership hackers. And finally, if you'd like me to work with your senior team, your leadership community, keynote an event, or you would like to sponsor an episode, please connect with us via our social media. And you can do that by following and liking our pages on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle there is at Leadership Hacker. Instagram, you can find us there at the underscore leadership underscore hacker. And at YouTube, we're just Leadership Hacker. So that's me signing off. I'm Steve Rush, and I've been the Leadership Hacker.